Hey, Blenders, on this week's show, I am filling in for Sean, who is not here, but we have plenty to talk about, including the new trailer for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot. Uh, we have the Oscar nominations coming up soon, and we give you our thoughts. Moonfall is hitting theaters, and director Roland Emmerich joins the show to discuss. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. Hello, Blenders, and welcome, welcome to episode 201 of Real Blend, a podcast that by this time next week might, in fact, be nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> Who's to say? I don't know. Wow. It could happen. That's gonna, it's going to be a big could, deal, but, but diplomatically, happen. you know, we don't, we, don't, uh, we don't gauge our success in Oscars. <laughs> we gauge it in our box fan office? feedback. <laughs> <laughs> our box office. Yeah, I was making uh, a joke. On this week's show... Um, we have a new trailer for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre yes, reboot that's heading to Netflix. Uh, Moonfall is hitting theaters, as is Jackass, and director Roland Emmerich is joining the show to discuss Moonfall um, and many other action movies from across his career. It's a fun one, so stay tuned. Um, first, I will introduce our friends. I am not Sean O'Connell, so I'll introduce myself. I am Gabe, your producer. Uh, Sean is weathering a winter storm to take his son across the country to visit some colleges so you know he he does he makes a big to do about episode 200 and then he just leaves us he's like he's like there for the parade he you know he always said i'm good for 200 of these and then i'm and then he's like he's like tom brady you're right yeah uh those voices are of course jake hamilton of fox 32 in chicago how you doing jake I'm doing well. Yeah, dude, seriously. It's like he's Tom Brady and we're the Patriots and he's just like not acknowledging us at all. Yeah. And now he's playing for a team in Kentucky. I think he's in Kentucky. (laughs) Wait, but Uh, just to clarify, didn't Brady then tweet out an acknowledgement to the Patriots? It was was a little bit like, it was a little bit like, really, dude? Yeah. Really? Yeah. And that other voice is Kevin McCarthy of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C. How you doing, Kev? I'm doing good. Can I ask you all a question or a favor real of fast? Um, I just got these new glasses today. Do they look uh-huh. too small on me or are they okay? No, they look good. They look really, really good. good. You guys I like thought them? you had new glasses, but I yeah, wasn't. Yeah, well, normally they're a little more like Buddy Holly-y. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, like, like they're extra, like, you know, like the, 
buddy hollish um like buddy they're Hallish. like super like like the um, what do you call it like they're like dark, like the black frames with like the but yeah. like they're thick yeah, yeah, yeah. i like them um these are less thick but i just wasn't sure if they fit my head because uh, if there were a better reason to watch us on youtube i don't know what it is that's true. Yeah, let me know. Uh, I'm curious. In the, comment, I'll, I'll, I'll in the take, comments, I'll take below. them back. I'll take have, them back and get a refund. We have updated <laughs> graphics, updated mics and cameras, and now updated now updated glasses. glasses. Updated glasses. It's yeah. all great. Um, speaking of YouTube, if you're joining us there, like, subscribe, turn on those notifications so you know as soon as we post these lovely videos, including a bonus episode uh, that went up this week with Stevo. Uh, if you if you haven't been paying attention to your feeds, wherever you get us, be sure to check out our interview. With Stevo, if you would like to see that video or this one, head to youtube.com slash realblendpodcast um, and give us your subscription. Uh, and again, we are, of course, available wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and finally, Real Blend Premium, um, our premium feed. You get ad-free versions of this show on audio um, and you get a lovely bonus segment with us every Monday uh, where we play games and talk about crazy things. Answer your questions with our little mail game once a month our mailbag uh, segment once a month. Um, and Sean writes a newsletter that drops to you every other Friday. So it's a fun little package, five bucks a month. Uh, check the description for how to sign up. Um, but one other thing that's not quite housekeeping that I want to discuss with you guys is that we did something special for episode 200 last week, which was a little um, casual Instagram live after party to celebrate hitting 200. Did you guys have fun? I had fun. Yeah, it seemed I think like the, the chat the, was having fun. The thing awesome. that surprised me the most is how quick that hour flew by. Yeah. I think before we got into it, at least on my end, there was a degree of like, what are we going to talk about for an hour right. on Instagram? And I think the first time I actually looked to see, I believe we started it at six central. Um, and the first time I looked to see what time it was, assuming it would be. 620s maybe 625 it was closer to like 640 645 mm -hmm. i mean we were almost done by the time i paused to question how long we had been doing this for yes um, we started just, at five flew central, by actually but oh five but central. the timing Excuse is me. remains yeah. the same yeah it just yeah. it just kind of surprised me just how easy it was right i wanted to say thank you to the the blenders the real ones as we like to call them um for showing up i think i had said you know we'll kind of do whatever you guys want to do and i hope to kind of spend that time asking questions um, but there's always that fear of like, you'll invite a bunch of people to your birthday party and they don't show yeah, up. Yeah. So we had a bunch of stuff prepared that like, you know, we could just talk about. Um, we cooked a I, bunch of food and I think, I don't think anyone would accuse of, accuse us of, you know, running out of things to say, but we had a bunch of stuff ready to go and we really spent the time uh, just interacting with, with chat, which was great. So thank you for showing up. Thank you for all yeah. your questions. We answered like maybe a quarter of them, if not less. Um, so I, I do appreciate you guys participating. I want to do it again. I mean, I, to me, it was cool because it was it was real time interaction. And, yeah. you know, we are a show that records and then people listen to it, you know, later in the week or if it's an interview we hold for a while. Right. Um, but just to kind of have an instantaneous uh, conversation with people that were asking questions that wanted to know things. Uh, it was just really cool. It was like it was just nice to connect with people that way. It, it had been a long time since we had done something like that. I mean, obviously, we've done our live show before. Uh, we've met uh, people who listen to our show um, at different meetups across the country and world, actually, because yeah. London was one of them. Um, but digitally, it was actually it kind of felt comforting to mm -hmm. talk to people like that, yeah. you know? It was great. And I think we I think I speak for all of us, as Kevin just said, um, we <clears> really enjoyed it. And we like to do it again. And a lot of um, a lot of the listeners who were giving their feedback said that they would do it again. So 
uh, stay tuned. We might find a, a more regular cadence to kind of do some stuff like that. Um, I'll leave that at that as we figure some stuff out in the background before I make too many promises. Um, but keep an eye out. I think there's going to be more interesting live um, sort of opportunities for people to interact with the show coming up um, soon enough. Um, but without further ado, I mean, should we get to the interview of the week? That's kind of that's probably why yeah. a lot of people click this. Yeah. They're, they fast forwarded to me right now and they're like, I don't know what just <laughs> no, happened. They are I'm, letting I'm the melodious the molasses of that is your voice pour into their melodious ears. Melodious molasses. Is that is what that a, from like a Curious George book? What no, is it, I just, just there's just a little bit of alliteration. <laughs> that's Dr. I'm, Seuss I'm, that's all I got. That's all I got for the week. Beautiful. I appreciate it. Um, this week's guest is the incredible Roland Emmerich, um, an icon in his own right of the action genre, joined us to talk about his new film, Moonfall. Um, the boys here have seen Moonfall. I have not, but we will get into our thoughts uh, later in today's show to give you our thoughts and reviews on whether or not you should go check it out this weekend. Um, regardless, this conversation is incredibly interesting, um, an incredibly interesting filmmaker to get to discuss things with. Um, some, of the, some of the topics cover, obviously, Independence Day. Um, he shares a great bit about showing Bill Clinton the scene of the White House blowing up in um, the White House while they were Imagine in the White House being in the White House and seeing that. Yeah, he, he discusses sort of um, what he's become known for, I guess, which is sort of creating his own IP, working outside of the sort of like IP system um, and his thoughts on that and, and a bunch of other stuff, which I think is really great. So I will leave you to it and I will stop talking and let Roland Emmerich take over here on the Real Blend podcast. <laughs> Uh, Roland, I'm Kevin. This is uh, Jake and this is Sean. We are the Real Blend Podcast. We're a filmmaker focused podcast that takes a deep dive into filmmaking. Thank you for joining us. You've been a part of our filmmaking journeys for a long time with your films. I still have my Independence Day ticket from when I was a kid. I don't know if you can see it, but it's kind of faded now. But you you were an event. You are an event filmmaker. Every time a movie comes out with your name on it, I'm excited to go to the theater to see it because seeing it in, in the theater with the communal experience is so special. Like, I want to go see the new Roland Emmerich film um, for you growing up. What was who was that filmmaker for you? Who was that event filmmaker for you that made you excited to definitely go to the theater every time? And like what what movies do you remember seeing growing up that were important for you theatrically? I, I think the first real uh, movies which impressed me uh, was New Hollywood because it was like a series of young directors who had all done amazing work. I mean, it was Coppola, Spielberg, Lucas. Uh, Scorsese, etc., etc., Brian De Palma, etc., and that's I grew up with that. You know what I mean? I grew up with that. When I was uh, old enough to see these movies, that was the movies I saw. You know, and mm. uh, so when I went to film school, I kind of naturally expected that we like make movies like that. And then I was like okay. deeply disappointed <laughs> with the film school. After like <laughs> one year, I couldn't even like put some film in a camera and shoot something it was all like theory. And then, you know, like I, I said, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. And then my, actually my professor then like kind of talked me into staying. Luckily he did, but, uh, but it was like, just, uh, I was disappointed. And so I was always like kind of, uh, you know, and even when I w did my next three movies, you know, uh, in Germany, um, I always like, uh, shot them in English because I, I had no conception, you know, for the German language because mm. uh, everything I saw was most of the time English language. Yeah. 
Ooh, wow. It's fascinating. That's, it's fascinating to think that as a film fan growing up in the 70s, in a matter of 10 years, you got Godfather, Godfather 2, Jaws, Taxi Driver, <laughs> Mean Streets, like just I mean, within, a, within, within, a, within a 10 year period. And we're like still watching them. Yeah. 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 Right? You're yeah. still watching yeah. them. Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Amberg, you, you spoke with us yesterday for television and you said something to me that, that I have not stopped thinking about for the last 24 hours. I asked you what you learned on Independence Day that you still use for a movie like Moon, Moonfall. And your answer was not to show individual deaths, that you can show entire cities being wiped out at one time, but not to zoom in and show individual. And I haven't stopped thinking about that. I was wondering if you could expand just just the psyche of what that does for an audience member that well, we can watch a million people people die but we don't want to watch one person die exactly and that's exactly the reason you know because you cannot make a disaster movie you know where you like see endless people die mm. uh, and that's like kind of um, a rule I always had by the mm. way I always had the rule that's like kind of don't stay away from single deaths because it just like kind of uh, ruins the, the, the movie and, and in a way I have the feeling you know Uh, that's why I think people and even kids can enjoy these movies because uh, there is no death, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you like kind of show somebody dying, then it's because out of air or something like that, which mm -hmm. is a very uh, kind of soft death. Mm -hmm. mm. Wow. It's fascinating. Roland, Roland, I want you to open up about this because in looking over your filmography in preparation for this, I'm blown away by how you are not forced like almost every other filmmaker to dabble in some type of um, franchise or recognizable IP. Uh, and anytime a filmmaker asks for a, a budget of a certain size, you know, it normally has to have some sort of brand recognition. And, and even to the point now where like Mr. Spielberg has to remake West Side Story, you know, or, uh, you know, obviously the superheroes uh, that jump that dominate the, the field. What is the secret to being able to work Uh, at the big budget level, but still maintain your originality and, and create these worlds instead of uh, copying someone else's. It becomes harder and harder. <laughs> mm. Honest to God, it's like uh, I'm, sure. I'm, I'm fighting, a, a, I think Chris Nolan too, but like it's, I'm fighting a, a very, very losing battle. It's really like a losing battle because at one point when I did Independence Day, originality was asked for. Right. Then came a moment where like kind of everything was coexisting, big brands like uh, Marvel and Star Wars and and at DC Comics, you know, was one thing. But there was still enough uh, original movies. Now it's only, you know, like kind of Marvel movies. Uh, it's just like kind of incredible when you like kind of think about that. And you as a I always like see myself as a filmmaker who wants to um create new stories you know and i cannot like use the format much of like marvel uh and dc comic because i didn't grow up with them you know what yeah. i was like not growing uh, growing up with them and then you have no really relationship to it and then you know when you like kind of all of a sudden would say oh i'm now like doing a marvel movie everybody says why now you a marvel movie you know what i mean <laughs> and that's why i'm not doing it because it's like uh Uh, I think I could make them uh, much, much cheaper, but uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, they like leave this to the studios, you know. And they most Keep of the time, your own thing. most of the time, they're using relatively young directors. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. True. 
You know, Roland, you, you brought up Christopher Nolan, and I mean, he's uh, he's one of the few filmmakers in, in the industry right now, uh, as you mentioned, who's making original material, like like similar to what you're doing outside of the Batman films, like with Tenet and Dunkirk and Interstellar. I mean, he's really found a way for you as a filmmaker who's been in the game, obviously longer than Nolan. When you see someone like that come on the scene, do you notice it right away? Like, is, is he? No, someone I kind of saw it already. Like, I saw it already, you know, when he like kind of did his first movie. What was his first movie? Memento. Memento. I immediately at that major talent. Because it's very hard mm-hmm. to do movies like that. You know, where everything goes backwards. So uh, and alone to make a movie which like goes backwards, you know, have to see very clearly how it goes forwards. So yeah. uh, that was like kind of for me. And uh, and uh, I actually uh, liked the first two Batmans. I was not so hot on the third one. But um, uh, to just come up with something like um, uh, insomnia, uh, like uh, I mean, in, uh, interstellar. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, in, uh, it's incredible what this guy has uh, created. You know, Roland, you know, you are uh, obviously the king of, of doing the disaster films. No one does them better than you. And I read an interview recently where you said your agents would love if you just kept doing these films and that they're not always happy when you take breaks for films like maybe like The Patriot or Anonymous. But I'm sort of curious, how often do you get disaster scripts on your desk where you just like look at it and go, oh, no, I'm not doing that. Like, how said, many have you, have you said, said no to? I said at one point, and this was like 10, 15 years ago. No more disaster scripts on my desk. <laughs> Just <laughs> do don't do it. You? Just don't do it because it, most of the time they like take a, a disaster which is way too small and blow it up into something big. And I'm always like kind of uh, of the mind that I actually thought truly that 2012 is my last disaster movie. So I packed everything mm. in into that movie, you know. Yeah. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, like kind of nine, ten years ago, I had like, I read this book, uh, uh, Who Built the Moon? You know, super provocative. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, every time I was looking at the moon, I said, wow, I mean, this can, uh, anyhow, so it's like this kind of thing mm. where all of a sudden a story is born in my head. And I take two or three or four years sometimes to formulate it, you know, because I'm always like saying to myself, oh, let's, uh, let's not do that because mm. it's like too much disaster. But then mm. I, I'm always coming back to it and I says, maybe we have to do it more in space. You know, and, you know, mm. that's like how I uh, approach these things. And, and then at one point, you know, you like do them. Mm-hmm. And Roland, John, uh, John Bradley's character is, is such a fascinating way for the audience to get into the story and, and the way that he chases down these theories that he really believes in. And so uh, you've mentioned that book a couple of different times that you read and all these conspiracy theories, the ones that last, they last because they have a grain of truth to them. There's something that you read in them that you think like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe. You so know what, what was they, in that book that caught a, your attention? You know, no, no, but there's, a, there's, a in, uh, there's an interesting thing happening lately. There is like the, the interesting, you know, Area 51, uh, Moon could be maybe hollow and all these kind of things. They're like kind of benign and they feel like really uh, friendly. But then there is QAnon which is like a huge uh, uh, conspiracy theory, which is like one third of all Americans like that or think that there is some truth to that. 
I mean, mm. think about that. And, and that's like kind of something I, I, that's why I'm like saying to myself now, no more uh, conspiracy theories, because it's just like, uh, it's just like kind of you play more or less in that kind of field, which has turned really ugly lately. And mm -hmm. I, by the way, yeah. I had like uh, the conspiracy theory already in there and the script was written three, four years ago mm -hmm. and then like kind of altered naturally. But uh, uh, and this was like drawing the rise of the QAnon thing. And only lately I read that like a third of uh, Americans believe in this. Don't wow. let them steal conspiracy theories from <laughs> us, though. They're still fun. I like them. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. maybe, yeah, maybe. But I always like kind of, by the way, I always liked the idea that William Shakespeare hasn't written all these plays because right. it totally makes one. sense. Mm. Yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I, that one I actually believe. Like that one, I, I I think it makes perfect sense. Um, you know, I so when, growing up, the first movie I ever saw of yours, I was going through a really big Jean Claude Van Damme um, <laughs> uh, period in my life, and you made Universal Soldier, which I freaking love that movie uh, with him and, and Dolph Lundgren. Um, can you talk about just like the, your memories of that film? It's thir it turns thirty this year. It's thirty years wow. since that film, and and just like you know the who the filmmaker you were on that set. What do you remember about that? And kind of lessons you've learned going forward well you know i mean it was like kind of one of these things you know where i had just uh, said no uh, after nine months of working on it uh, to a movie which was uh, at that time produced by Joel silver had uh, um sylvester stallone starring and i just said no no more i'm like kind of went, i it was called isobar and was never made and um, I uh, went into Mario Kassar's office and said, look, uh, I cannot do it anymore. It's just like too big, uh, three, you know, I mean, I'm like a strong person. Joel Silver is a strong person, uh, like uh, Sylvester Stallone is a strong person. This will not work. So uh, let me go and, uh, you know, you will ever be my friend. And then he offered me, because he lost like uh, Andy Davis on, on a movie, uh, Universal Soldier, but this was like a really bad script. I mean, you would have not believed how bad that was. So I kind of said, I said, let's make a deal, Mario. We like, I write on my own costs, you know, a new script. And then when you like it, then we can make this movie. And I sat down with Dean Devlin and we like wrote in three weeks a new script. The first thing what we had to do, we had to kind of talk to Dolph Lundgren. Would you be uh, enticed to play a bad guy, right? Mm -hmm. And then naturally, uh, Jean-Claude is uh, the good guy. And we like developed, you know, a scene which takes part in uh, the first opening scene is in in Vietnam and they shoot each other, right? So they're mm -hmm. both like mm -hmm. kind of, but like clearly uh, Dolph was more the nuts guy. And uh, Jean-Claude wasn't. And I always like kind of said, with that, we can erase all acting problems and accents <laughs> because they're like robots. They're more yeah, or less yeah. like kind of, uh, <laughs> right? That's so true. <laughs> and uh, that was the solution. And, 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 and you know what? I, I remember like how, how, uh, uh, how like Dean looked at me and said, you're a genius. <laughs> you didn't tell them that, did you? No, but like that was like kind of my new story, and and, and with that, you know, 
uh, comes everything else. That's wow. awesome. I love that movie, man. I do. That movie brilliant. had a massive impact on me. And Mario Casar, <laughs> dude, that name will always be uh, in my mind because of Terminator Two. Oh, his yeah. name was on the term. Oh, oh man, my he's God. like a, Mar- he did. Uh, yeah. He uh, he like. Uh, uh, did uh, you know two of my movies? You know, but like the best uh, movie he ever did was T two. Oh, yeah. oh, it's the great. It might be the greatest movie of all time. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it, it just has to be. It's so good. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Roland. You, there, there are few images in, in movies more iconic and memorable than the White House blowing up in Independence Day. I mean, it's it's the sort of image where you don't have to tell someone what movie it is. You show them that you show them that clip, and they go, "Oh, it's yeah. Independence Day." That's how powerful yeah. it is. I've always wondered. It was such a big deal when it came out. And I, if I if I remember right, it would have been a Bill Clinton administration when it came out. Did you ever hear anything from like when that movie came out and everyone was talking about that moment? Did the Clinton administration ever reach out to you and say, like, yeah, hey, like, like I, I screened that movie in the White House. Did you? <laughs> yes. And uh, and uh, like kind of Hillary That's said great. to me afterwards, you know. Should like kind of maybe Bill have a pilot license uh, with this help? <laughs> Uh, and uh, and uh, there was like also like a long discussion going on between Dean and me. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do, should we blow up, the Capitol or the White House? Yeah. And I said, it's, there's no doubt in my mind it has to be the White House. Yeah. Right, and right. then, but like kind of to be safe, we also like blew up the, the Capitol. <laughs> Just like kind of to, you know. <laughs> when, that, when you're in the White House, you're screening that movie in the White House. And the, the White House was the White exploding. House blows up, what was there, what happened in, the, in that screening room at that time? You know what, at the end of that sequence, you know, all of a sudden I see like Clinton, you know, jump up, run out of the theater and we're like, oh, look at it. And when he came back, he did like this. So mean he was like kind of trying his hands, you know, because oh. uh, because he wanted to be so fast back into the in the that's hilarious. Wow, and you're like that's oh. Awesome. Um, All right, Roland, you have spent uh, so much time over the course of your career uh, recreating space uh, and space travel and and different ways to get through space. And now uh, we see headlines of, you know, Richard Branson and Jeff Bezos taking these space trips. Is that something that would interest you at all? Would you go up in a rocket? I think I wait like four or five years. uh, So it's safe. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would go right yeah. now. We've all like different people. If it's like for five years safe or six or seven years safe, I will go up there. But Maybe not before. Not before. Okay, that's oh. fair enough. Roland, uh, in our last two minutes, um, uh, this is just because our our show is purely filmmaking based and uh, I'm just going to go back to what Jake brought up because having you on this is the first time you've been on our show and obviously people who listen to this show know all of your films Um, but the miniature that you did create for that explosion is in general from a practical filmmaking perspective is just incredible Um, and I think that people don't realize that you know there's a lot of CGI in today's films and what it it took to build something like that and blow it up can you just give our audience an idea of what that looked like I think it was like it was like a one 16th scale or of some sort and like how did you do it well it's like uh, first of all we built two of them right mm. uh because uh, just to be safe that we'll not like have to start again right and uh, i also wanted to have it in the first teaser 
So we like kind of for sure like had to blow up one right away. And oh, so what it's really the teaser is good the, is teaser. A test shot. Oh, that's cool. That's like a test. The teaser was a test. Yeah, actually a test or like uh, maybe the final shot. And then oh. la- later we composited the the helicopters in going up because yeah. when you look at oh, the cool. teaser, there's no helicopter in there. Oh you know wow! I mean? oh, and that makes sense. That okay. makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And so and that gets built out of all tiny little uh, like blaster pieces. And then somebody comes in and like kind of says, okay, we have to build a steel frame. And then we put all these like blaster pieces in because it has to uh, break apart, you know, in a very organized form. And Mm -hmm. you cannot like have like a column flying away like this. So it has to be um, that. And and yeah, and that was like kind of uh, how it was built and how it was. And actually... uh, uh, you know, like uh, who was uh, responsible for that? It was like Volker um, uh, Engel and and Jovis Gosel. They were like another two people who kind of conceptualized it. Wow! No, wow. God love practical effects. We will what always vote practical yeah. effects. I missed. I, I I so missed them. Yeah. Well, <sighs> th- but listen, there's there's plenty of really interesting stuff in Moonfall. We want to let everybody know that in yeah, addition the to all the, the global decimation, yeah. uh, there's some incredible, incredible science fiction stuff uh, that, that takes place, uh, let's just say, around the moon. I don't want to give anything else away <laughs> beyond yeah. that. Around uh, and inside the moon. <laughs> around <laughs> and inside, yes. Uh, so it's you're getting the full Roland Emmerich. So, uh, Mr. Emmerich, thank you so much for joining the Real Blind Podcast. Uh, it's a thrill to have you on, and we can't wait for people to go uh, to go see moonfall thank you so much for your time uh, and we're back um thank you to roland emmerich thank you to lionsgate um for the time in order to join us here on real blend it is always a pleasure to to get to talk to filmmakers in general um it's an extreme honor to talk to someone with such i would say iconic uh films in their filmography and someone that we've watched for a long time um how was the interview for you guys who were who were in it anything you took away or that you'll remember yeah, Kevin, I don't know about you. I um I'd gotten him the day before for uh, a television slot and just found him to be much more open, relaxed, um, enthusiastic for sort of our more long form interview. So I'm thinking maybe he's one of those directors that just that just works better in kind of a long form format. Maybe he's not one of those guys that just doesn't necessarily do well in, in the four or five minute uh, format. I don't know. What do you what did you think of? Yeah, I mean, for me, like. Roland Emmerich's an interesting uh, person to talk to you because growing up, like, and you'll hear you heard in the interview, Universal Soldier was was a huge film that I loved with Van Damme and Lundgren, and but this is prior to him becoming the disaster filmmaker that he sure. is. Um, and what's fascinating about Roland Emmerich is the general, you know, the majority of his disaster films, I. I think they're fine. I mean, Day After Tomorrow in 2012, Independence Day. I mean, Independence Day is probably like his biggest and best, but. At the end of the day, like, you know, it's I'm always excited to see what he's going to do. Like, like, like regardless of how I felt about previous films or if Day After Tomorrow didn't deliver what I wanted it to or 2012, et cetera. um, When I hear a concept of a moon going out of orbit and (laughs) coming to Earth, I mean, it just sounds like something I would want to see on the biggest screen possible. So Emmerich is uh, a a rare filmmaker that is very event driven. Like he's, there's something um, uh, that I love that I'm going to experience something through his vision. I mean, he's, he's, you know, he's a filmmaker that just kind of plays around with this disaster genre and does it in so many different ways. And you just wonder how he's going to play with it. Um, I I beg of you to not, 
take this comparison too seriously. And please do not take this out of context and think that I'm making any more of this comparison than I'm about to. But in in the same way that Nolan makes movies that insist <laughs> that you see them on the big screen. Yeah. Like Emmerich kind of makes movies where it's like, if you don't see it on the big screen, what's the point? Like if you don't see yeah. the moon crash into the earth, if you don't see, you know, the waves from 2012 and day after tomorrow, it's right. kind of, it's, it's sort of like, it, it's almost like they are made. And granted, I, I, again, I cannot stress right, right, right. that I'm not comparing I would Roland say that, Emmerich and Chris yeah, Nolan, yeah, yeah. but the insistence, they make movies that, that insist upon being seen on the big screen. Well, in a weird way, we do talk about Christopher Nolan yeah. in our interview and he brings up Nolan for the exact reason that you're talking about yep. or, or the idea that making original films, films that are not, I mean, obviously besides Batman films are not based on IP and, sure. and sequels and prequels. So um, Nolan was a topic of conversation in the interview because of, you know, he is, they are in a similar vibe of like doing original material. Sure. Nolan has a very specific uh, tone to his movies. Emmerich has right. his own tone. Um, we're not talking quality here. We're just talking straight up. Like, you know, they they live in a, a a world of filmmakers that are more on the original side and trying new things, not really attached to too much IP yeah. outside of the Batman stuff for Nolan. So right, right, right. Wait, did well, he do White House Down? Yeah, uh, that, White House that, Down and yeah. and uh, Olympic because because he, he's Olympus had two experiences was better. Oh no, yeah, because he wanted Fuqua. to. Yeah, oh yeah, Olympus has fallen was much better. But you know, he wanted to make. Um, I was reading an interview where he wanted to make a um, uh, uh, an asteroid movie. In the in the late nineties, oh, and really? I guess he got tied up in Godzilla, and apparently didn't really want to make Godzilla. And by the time he got like knee deep in Godzilla, both Deep Impact and Armageddon were announced. And he goes, "Well, yeah. I guess there there's my asteroid movie." There goes. Have we ever enough. had a three? Usually it's two. Like we have it's usually two. Sorry, yeah. uh, sorry, game. Yeah, we, we, two we, we have two pres- Prestige and Illusionist. Mm-hmm. Then there was Armageddon, Deep Impact. There was uh, Snow White, White. And the Huntsman, and then just Snow White. Yep, and then White House Down, and Olympus has fallen. And then there's a few of these that have happened, but has it ever, right. it's never been three in a year, right? No, have we ever I, that's seen the sort of three? thing where everyone knows what everyone's making sort of thing. Yeah. And they know that there's another one coming. And as soon as, you know, if you're the third, you're probably, you probably move yeah. your resources elsewhere pretty quickly. So I, yeah. I don't think that's ever happened with three. Maybe there's an example right in if there is. Um, but yeah, great, great interview. Um, and uh, we will touch base with Moonfall uh, later on today. Gabe, I was wondering if you could just for a moment. Okay. Take yourself back. To when we're putting together episode one of Real Blend, did you ever okay. think that you would put together the sentence, we have to make our interview with Steve-O a bonus episode because we have an interview <laughs> with Roland Emmerich? <laughs> uh, no, no, I can't say episode one. That was a th- I, even how, when we started how, doing what, interview, what a that's far a... weird journey <laughs> we've come. <laughs> Sorry, Steve-O, we had to put you in a bonus episode because we have Roland Emmerich this week. We, you guys apologize for the bonus. The bonus episode's not a derogatory thing. It's just no, it's, but it just, no, just, just in the just sense that like, yeah. Yeah, it's it's just in the sense content. that we have an extra one. Yeah, that, like just in the sense that in one week we have both Steve-O and Roland Emmerich. It's just it's just a weird it's journey. A crazy, that, yeah, it's crazy and awesome. And again, yeah. a great reminder to go listen to that interview. If you haven't, it's him. Watch on YouTube. It's him just like chilling in his yeah. um, his his tour bus. Tour bus. Um, it's really fun. It's really fun. And he was he's really interesting, interesting guy to talk to. Uh, but no, let's let's move on with today's topics. Um, first up, we're going to discuss the trailer for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, which is headed to Netflix. I think it looks great. I think it looks gruesome. I think it looks fresh. Uh, but I want to throw to Jake. What were your takeaways? Yeah, I'm, I'm really into this. Um, I think it looks re- look. I'm going to say something that that 
I hope you guys can appreciate the Texas Chainsaw movies, whether it's the original Toby Hooper one from the 70s or the Marcus Nispel 2003 remake are beautifully shot films like gorgeous. There are some gorgeous frames in those films, like as as grotesque and and bloody and, and gory as they are, they're gorgeously shot. And there's a there are some beautiful shots and this one, like the shot, everyone, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's already turned into a the meme, clothes. but the shot, well, I was thinking of the shot of like him popping his head oh, up yeah. from the sunflowers yeah, uh, a was great, a really, it's a great shot. There's a really creepy. cool, yeah, oh, super and like creepy. The, 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 uh, those are sunflowers, right? Yeah, they, but they're like dried and dead. I was going to say, like they, they picked yeah. the perfect time in the season for those yes. to look creepy and yeah. dead. I, and I don't even think I've like seen sunflowers look like that before. Gross. It's it's obviously, yeah. it's following in the path of Halloween um, and that we're getting sort of this idea of what if Sally, the final girl from the film, came back almost 50 years later and took Mm -hmm. on basically old man Leatherface. Um, I really wish that the uh, original actress who played Sally from the original film were still with us. She passed away a couple of years ago. So obviously that role has been recast. But I think that's a really cool idea. I've always kind of wondered what happened to to Sally. I think in another real blend, I talked about like if, if you remember the final time we see her. Uh, in the back right. of that truck driving down that Texas road like my thought is always like she's screwed for the rest of her life like she was she is going to be just she's how do you you don't come back from that right. um, and there's also kind of a really interesting sense of humor to this trailer which if you're familiar with the rest like Toby Hooper also did a Texas Chainsaw sequel in the 80s that is just this ridiculous like almost borderline horror comedy and, it, and this trailer doesn't quite veer into that that territory, but it almost feels like it dips its toe as like a little bit of a tip of the cap because a lot of horror fans like that film as well. Um, so it feels like it tips it like a little dip of into the into the Toby Hooper comedy element of Texas Chainsaw. But I got to say everything about it. I just went, yep, I'm in. I'm sold. Kev? Yeah, I mean, the trailer to me was just extremely well edited. I mean, mm-hmm. it definitely has Halloween 2018 vibes. No question. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole concept of Jamie Lee Curtis and then this character, Sally. Um, I mean, the, it's a direct sequel to the first movie. So does it does it completely delete the sequels? Like I, I think so. Does? My understanding is the premise is after the events of the first film, mm-hmm. Leatherface basically went into hiding. Right. He's been right. like kind of like trying to like stay off, you know, stay clear of the law. And so this I is kinda, decades later. Yeah. Um, but I kind of love that about. Sorry, I'll come back to your point. But, but while you're there, I kind of love that about the horror genre and like mainstream horror. Is that it? Sort of, it, it the genre itself sort of has its own movement. Sure, and I, we're seeing this reaction to a movement where everyone was giving really bad or too different, very different, you know, sort of uh, submer- uh, subversive sequels. Mm-hmm. Like all these films, all these franchises went through. Like we're gonna make that classic horror, but we're gonna make it wild and different. Uh, which in general people have had adverse reactions to. And now the movement that they're all going in is we're going to retcon that. Yeah. And we're going to do, and all these fans are making these movies now yeah. who are in love with these franchises yeah. versus not that the people who made those yeah. weren't fans, but I just love, I love looking at the big picture of the horror genre because I think it's one of the most interesting Yeah, because it's always happening. It's yeah. not like, it's not like Westerns and superheroes where it's, it's sort of like they have their time. Horror keeps existing and keeps sort of flowing. And I love that. I, I, I think people can criticize the like, oh, they're doing the same thing as all these other genres. I kind of love that the horror genre 
does that that it's its yeah. own it's basically of... it's turned into a choose your own adventure not yeah. like if you want to stay tried and true and go to the originals that's yeah, yeah, your yeah. choice if you want to bump over to the remakes because even with texas chainsaw there's a remake there's a prequel to the remake and then there's a sequel that has nothing to do with the remake that's in 3d or if you want to say hey we're going to screw all that there's a there's a sort of a spiritual sequel to the original film i mean that's it's basically like whatever you choose you want to do like the, right. the options are there Right. Sorry, Kev, continue your... your no, thoughts. no, no. Nothing really to add, except for uh, I thought the editing in the trailer was great, but it does kind of remind great. me exactly of the 2018 Halloween bit. Sure, sure. Um, what, what do you guys think of um, of the look of... I kind of like how messy Leatherface looks. Yeah. It, it looks like... I mean, look, not to get too graphic, but like that would be a very messy thing if you think about what it is that he's actually doing. Like it wouldn't... You know, even in in the remake... It it's a clean messy if it look, it looks very mm-hmm. makeup messy if that if that makes any sense and this looks like very unkempt you know what would a a mask made out of human flesh in the Texas sun yeah. look like after running yeah. around and getting all gross and sweaty all day like that's exactly what it would look like did you ever uh, I forget how far you got into the Walking Dead I have I have caught up on the Walking Dead this is sort of a tangent. what. On purpose? On purpose, yeah. Because it's 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 the last bit of it is is coming up. Um, I think in a couple of weeks they're starting the last. Like you've watched season. all the way through. I had watched until um, spoilers for Walking Dead like three seasons ago. Uh, till Rick Grimes le- yes. leaves the show. Yeah, I've like kind of like heard about what happens, but I gave up. I won't. I won't spoil that. But like, when yeah. he when he left. There was a big time jump forward, and I watched a couple episodes and then fell off. And since then. I hadn't watched until um, this past fall. I started catching back up or actually like maybe December. I started catching back up. Um, Anyway, I bring this up to say that I assume you aren't watching. Do you know what the whisperers are? This is about when I fell off. Because you're talking about the the mask thing. And and this is something that I I haven't seen Greg Nicotero talk about. If we ever got to interview him, I'd want him to just gush about like how much fun he had getting to make a bunch of um, Leatherface characters and and stories the whisperers are these group of survivors in the walking dead that cut off the faces of zombies and they sort of mm. turn them into leather what? and they wear them as masks so that they can walk around with the oh, zombies that's, that's cool actually idea. awesome that's a great premise that's a great but idea it's great but nicotero basically just got to say like what if we just made a hundred leather faces that's you know awesome. like and, and and the makeups are really so to your point I, I saying, about I like how Google gross and, and gruesome that is um, those are a great example. It's a little bit different because they're like undead sure. skin. But but again, this is tying back to I agree. I think the makeup um, and prosthetics with that looks great and gruesome as it should be. Um, and if you haven't caught up on The Walking Dead, it's fun. It's it's gotten kind of crazy. Uh, I'm excited for the new season, but that's neither here nor there. Any I'm final on thoughts? Season three of Ozark. That's where I'm started. Ooh, nice. nice. Uh, any final thoughts on Texas Chainsaw before we move on? I'm excited. I'm really excited. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we are going to take a quick break. Uh, play you some ads and we'll be back on the other side to talk about the Oscar nominations which are coming next week Um, it's time for ads it's time for we'll be right back it's time for ads this episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse 
Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And we are back. Let's get right into it, boys, talking about the Oscar nominations. They are getting announced next week. On next week's show, we will have um, a big old discussion about all the nominations and the snubs and such. Uh, But before we get there, I wanted to talk with the two of you about some of our predictions, some of our expectations uh, to sort of set the stage for what might be coming and what might not. Um, so off the bat, I want to throw it to, to either of you to talk about some of the locks. Like what are the, what are the, what are the bigger, whether it's performance or just the movie in general, what are a handful of projects right now that you think are like, there's no way they don't get nominated. Um, like Kev? Belfast, Power Coda. The Dog. Yeah. You think Coda's up? Yeah. You think Coda's definitely a lock now? Oh, no question. It feels like Coda's been making a really interesting surge in these past few weeks. Coda might That's win cool. best picture. I, like, and I would be, tell, tell me like... You wouldn't be okay with that. I mean, I think Dune deserves it. I think uh, sure, sure. But in a world where we have to accept that Dune was our number one film of the year and it's not going to win Best Picture, is it? Is Dune? Is Dune Part Two going to win it though? Is that how it's going to work? Are they going to? Are they going to? I I don't know. I because I, I feel like with Lord of the Rings there was an element of like well like three different films in a trilogy. I just don't know they if all like were made and. Yeah, I, yeah, and, and I would say it was almost like granted not to knock. Obviously, I love Return of the King, but it, he, they were almost awarding like an entire experience. And I feel mm-hmm. like everything that Lord of the Rings did, Dune has done the opposite. Like they didn't record, they didn't record, they didn't film back to back, they didn't release right. one knowing part two would come out. It's it's not this massive undertaking that that Jackson did that it felt like they were awarding the entirety of. Yeah, but it is it's it's it's, its own kind of monument though. Like, sure, Dune. Uh, I don't want to say unlike Lord of the Rings, but Dune is famously the impossible to adapt book, um, mm-hmm. the often failed to adapt book, and I think I think it reaches that sort of grandeur with Lord of the Rings. The fact that it's done that it is done so well, and I sure. think across the board, people accept. So I, I, there's a bit of that there, but but so that's definitely a lock to be nominated for. I mean, definitely picture picture. Would, do, do we does he get in for director? Director I, seems to be shifting at all times. I hope so. I think yeah. he should be. I think he um, does. Do you think it he, makes it for adapted? 
Yes. How, how could it not? I mean, that's the whole point of the adapted yeah. screenplay yeah. category, a, isn't it? Yeah. Let me take a look. Uh, continue your thoughts, Kevin. No, on, let on me, some of the Kevin, I have a question for you. Um, and this is someone that we talked about, like whether or not we would vote for this person. How much of a lock or is a lock is uh, Mr. Steven Spielberg for best director? I mean, I would ho- I would hope so. I mean, like West Side Story, I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, I feel like Jane Campion is the front runner right now yeah. for Power of the Dog, and Power yeah. of the Dog is the front runner for picture. Cumberbatch is like, the front runner um, for actor. I feel like Branna could get snubbed in the director category, like without a nomination. Yeah, no, I think I think huh? Belfast is too. Belfast is too on the forefront of a possible win for picture. Yeah. Can't imagine. Wait, what are the DGA nominations? Did those come out yet? Um, Let me take a look at. So on Gold Derby, I'll show you the um, the sort of top five for director that they have at the moment, according to their experts. Um, And I put those in air quotes uh, for the audio listeners because I don't know what that means necessarily. Who are their experts? I think it's just people who just cover it. Sign like up for hardcore. a pre- premium membership. That's exactly right. <laughs> they logged in. No, oh, wait. They released the DGA. Um, go ahead. What What do they have on the DGA? Well, the, yeah. This is this is this is perfect. You, yeah. You Paul think Thomas, this is exactly what it'll be? I think so. Yeah. Paul Thomas Anderson for Licorice Pizza. Kenneth mm-hmm. Branagh for Belfast. Mm-hmm. Jane Campion for Power of the Dog. Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. And Denis Villeneuve for Dune. So I, I I do think that there is a chat. I feel like Drive My Car has been. So that's really kind of um, so on Gold Derby. Yeah. Five, uh, uh, Drive my car is at number six. Kenneth Branagh yeah. for Belfast at five. PTA at four. Spielberg at three. Denis mm-hmm. at two, and Jane Campion still at number yeah. one. I feel like she's been yeah. up there for yeah. Okay, for so a let's let's say because so you know, and it, it would say in a in a year where you know, it's never like all five. You know, usually there's like one kind of person who misses out. Who of those five missed? Because I really do think the director of Drive My Car could get in there. Um. Who, so who miss it? Who would miss out? Who would Denis miss probably out? would miss out. You no, think so? I don't Unfortunately, think so. I, I, I think no. Branna or Spielberg have a better yeah. shot at missing out than Denis. I Wait, think this Branna. is not a, 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 a question of like what, which one we prefer. It's no, 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 sure. No, but I, yeah. I, 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 I think a lot of people look at Dune and just go, that looks harder to direct. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I think, you know, I, unfortunately, I also do feel like we live in a world where like Spielberg's success and legacy works against him because it's like, well, like, you know, it's it's Spielberg. He'll he'll be back next year. But we might be we might be um, overlooking the fact that it's a it's a Hollywood kind of movie. It's a yeah. like, it's a classic movie getting remade that. Yeah. People love. And, and but there, there just seemed like a there was a moment. I feel like there was a hot second. And Kevin, you saw this when we all went to the screening in early December. And we all saw West Side Story. And then there was this question of like, could West Side Story win Best Picture? Like there was just like, oh, my right. God, this like. And then it came out and I don't want to use the word bombed, but let's just say it vastly underperformed. And sure. it just I've never seen a balloon pop so quickly in my entire like it just went. Yeah, like I just felt like there all of a sudden went like West Side Story went to nothing. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I feel like West Side Story, Belfast, Coda, Power of the Dog, Dune. Those are all definites for picture. Could could the Coda director get in? No, you don't think don't- so? I don't think no, because so. Coda's very Coda's excellent film. I, but we're, I def- but we're I, talking about it maybe winning Best Picture though. No, I'm saying because like, I've, I've you felt that mm-hmm. resurgence come up for that film recently. Sure. Um, like it's a possibility because like sure. I've seen like I've seen people saying that it could be Belfast or Coda or Power of yeah. the Dog or Coda. Like those are the three that I keep seeing thrown around for the win. 
Um, if, if she gets in for best director, we need to start taking Coda very seriously in terms of a best picture yeah, nomination for sure. or for best sure. picture yeah. win. I mean, it's I definitely a great film. In the director category, I would consider, and I, th- I, I, th- I think this is going to, I would consider this a snub if he doesn't get nominated, um, Guillermo del Toro uh, for Nightmare Alley. I think he's deserving. Know. I don't. He hasn't really been. He hasn't been tracking, has he? I would mm. consider it a snub. I mean, I mean, reg- that's what I'm saying. Regardless of, of, but I feel like the definition of a snub is that like, oh, everyone expects him to get in. He's been getting in all the way, and at the very end, all of a sudden, he didn't get it last minute. I would say deserves is the word I would use, not expect, because you know we talk about expect with the Oscars. We have to like change our definition of of like what deserves. You know, we have that. Yeah, but if like, I. It, my point being, sure, I think he sure. deserves a nomination. I think that movie is directed. I gotta rewatch. It's on. It's on HBO Max now. I gotta rewatch it. It's really great. It's really great. And it's we don't need to rehash Nightmare Alley. Sure, but it's really great. And from a directing standpoint, I mean, I, I'd say every time Guillermo comes up to bat, he's he's so unique and so he puts so much of himself in his films. Um, and he has such a visual style that it's like every time he goes comes up to bat, yeah. you should he should be considered. Um. Yeah, I did want to I did want to mention um, the adapted uh, screenplay because we were discussing the chances of Dune on Gold Derby. It's ranked fifth. Uh, its competition is The Power of the Dog, Coda, The Lost Daughter, um, West Side Story, Drive My Car, Nightmare Alley, The Tragedy of Macbeth. There's a lot in the adapted yeah. category that I would feel like Dune for me again, fanboy. Um, Dune is like a lock for that. Uh, yeah, again, be. because of that narrative of like it's so hard to adapt. But there's a lot of big hitters there, including Coda. You know, that like could yeah. you see adapted screenplay if people love Coda but they don't want to give it the best picture? Adapted screenplay yeah. is that sort of category. The, the, could, the Pulp Fiction Award, exactly. They, yeah. they could go to not that not that Pulp Fiction was adapted screenplay, but you know what I mean. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, any other any other expected snubs? Do you guys think whether it's I, a performance or well, a film? I'd, I'd like there. Can I can I there's there a, a quote unquote lock? I would love to get sure. Sure, sure, sure. Will Smith, best actor. Like he's a lock to be nominated. Yes. And, oh, and, uh, and a lot of people yeah. consider to be this is what I want to talk to you guys about. A lot of people consider to be um, the front runner to win. And I think a big indicator will yeah. be what happens at the SAG Awards. Uh, he won Golden Globe for Best Actor, which there, there is no crossover, so that doesn't really mean anything other than bringing attention to his performance. Right. Um, you know, uh, and, and we've discussed this, all of the guilds tend to be leaning toward, um, or all, excuse me, all the critics' awards tend to be leaning toward Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, critics' awards don't always again, crossover into Oscars because critics awards don't tend to award careers quite like Oscars do. So I'm just sort of curious as we get closer and again, SAG and BAFTA will be a big, I think I could see BAFTA going toward Benedict. Um, Where do you guys stand on? Because it feels like Will Smith hasn't won that much up to this point, but it's still widely considered to be by many this year's front runner for best actor. And he's not even, he's like not out there playing the game. I mean, have you guys seen that? He, he's not doing one of those variety actors on actors things. Like he's not shaking hands. He's not kissing babies. Like he, for the most part, he's pretty MIA in this awards, uh, which that Mm -hmm. shouldn't be, that shouldn't be a factor. You should be able to disappear. Um, That's what an actor is supposed to do. Um, So I, I mean, I'm curious as where you guys say, is he the actual front runner? To provide you more context, he is ranked number one right now. On, See? Uh, See, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Kevin, what, Kevin, what are your thoughts? Well, it's, a, it's a career award. I mean, like, knowing the Oscars, of course they're going to give it to Will Smith. It's like <laughs> like the whole point of the Academy Awards that has become they award a person 
for their career um, after many, many years of not giving them an award. I mean, I, I think Will Smith should have won for many other films in his in his career. I don't think Kate Richards is the one that he should win for. I don't think DiCaprio should have won for Revenant. I don't think uh, Scorsese should have won great for... King. It's, it's not like he's crap. He's very King. good like, he's in great King, Richard. King Richard. He's And I would argue good. it's one of his best performances. I would say his best performance is probably Ali, but I would yeah. say... His, King Richard is one of his best performances. King Richard's a great performance. It's not the best performance of the year. Andrew Garfield is beyond. It's like, it's not even on it. They're not even on the same level in terms of like the performance. It's it's a completely different level of acting, in my personal opinion. And you I think, think he could sneak in. He's right. He, he's he's ranked to third right now. Garfield. Um, Garfield is like a sure to be nominated, but to Gar- win, it, it, it feels like Will Garfield's so been. Garfield has a lot of goodwill yeah. toward yeah, him. I think. Yeah. And I love Will Smith. I mean, I'm a, a huge fan of his work. I just don't think King Richard is the is the movie he should win actor for. Maybe this should is a silly. Ali. Maybe this is a silly question. Does the um, whole Spider-Man narrative, Spider-Man exposure, and sort of um, fun movement surrounding Garfield does that does that change, does that like I think that helps. Does that, I think that, right? there's does, been this like giant shift in oh we all universally love Andrew Garfield right, and I and, you know it kind of highlights his range too. I mean, not that. Yeah, it's not difficult to play a superhero, but like his fantastic sure. turn as Peter Parker juxtaposed with his work in Tick, Tick, Boom. And even, um, yeah, uh, the film he did with Jessica Chastain, um, Tammy Faye, Tammy Faye. Yeah, he's had a great God, I forget he had that movie, too. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. I, forget, I forget he had that movie. Yeah. Well, let's uh, while we're, we're talking actor, actress, where who who would you have at the top of the list for actress? Because this is a category that I feel like has shifted Damn. more. Kristen Stewart. Is where you, you would still think it's it going to be top. Stewart? Uh, are we saying who's going to win or who's going to be nominated? No, it was nominated, but just like right now, top of mind that you think is like the favorite at the moment. Coleman's Coleman's. I mean, you, you, she's just one of those actors. She's she's almost like the new Meryl Streep, where it's like, did did she act this year? Yeah. Oscar nomination. Yeah, she's ranked. She's ranked number one on Gold Derby right now. Is she? Yeah. Where's uh Where's uh Kristen Odd, Stewart? Uh, number five. Damn, they have her on the cusp of being snubbed. How did she she go? She didn't get a sag. Yeah, she didn't get a sag. But like, how did we go from Kristen Stewart's a lock? She's going to win to maybe she doesn't get nominated. Did well, well, I, I think Sean brought up the context of like she had come out and said like she does she's not really yeah but it was also like it was also a part of a joke and it was taken out of context oh, okay, and, okay, yeah. and and okay but but then again also um, Nicole Kidman could take this whole thing. She's number two. She's number two. Yeah. yeah. Nine to two odds for Kidman. 19 to five odds for uh, Coleman. Do that math. Quick, quick on top sidebar right. really quick. Talking in the Ricardos is I think Javier Bardem is going to take that number five actor slot. Is he like, is he actor or supporting? They're He's pushing actor, him for right? actor. Yeah, they're pushing him for actor. He is because that fifth sod is is ah yes. You uh, who, who who do you work for? Yeah. He's wearing number five on well, Gold because, Derby. Well, because because the, the we fifth got an slot. email today from Gold Derby about that, right? Oh, about him getting in. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I swear I to God, I, I swear to God, I, I, I did not check. Uh, I know yeah, he's number five. Saw that. Yeah. yeah, he's number five. Um, Denzel at number four. You know, because I feel like that's always been it, it's always been Will Smith, Cumberbatch, and Andrew Garfield at in the the one through three slots. Denzel's pretty much held on to that like look he's not going to win but he's at least going to get nominated for Macbeth that number four spot and the fifth yeah. spot has gone between Dinklage some people which just they keep pushing that movie back which I think is only hurting them um, uh, a lot of people were hoping Nick Cage could sneak in for Pig but it, it really does seem I was gonna like say, it's, do you think Nick Cage could God, sneak I, in and snub somebody I, I don't but I would love to be proven wrong 
Um, but it looks like Javier Bardem seems to be riding this like goodwill wave of being the Ricardos that uh, that Nicole Kidman has stirred up. Yeah. He's not up there, but I do think Bradley Cooper had a great performance in Nightmare Alley. Not to you, Nightmare you Alley and your again. Nightmare Alley, man. Well, if you if you love it so much, why don't you just marry it? I'm only bringing it up. It's not that like, it's my favorite movie of the year, but it's just so underappreciated that I feel like I have to go to bat for it a little bit when I'm like, hey, Bradley Cooper, like that last. It's your Finch. <laughs> it's not really my Finch, but it's like that last um, scene in the movie is. Oh, is I do. OK, that was amazing. That amazing. That and like Oscar type, like, yeah. oh, he's being very big and emotional. Yeah. And, um, and speaking of Cooper, away, do we but... do we see him getting in supporting actor for Licorice Pizza? That's I mean, that should be. I mean, that's that's the that's what that category exists for. Like whatever that's people are like, oh, he's be. not in it that much. Like that's you when you walk out of yeah. look and, and, and uh, you guys like that movie way more than I did. But I, we all walked out talking about Bradley Cooper in that movie. Um, who would so, be your who would be what well, rank your five best supporting actors? You know, you I really hope Ben Affleck gets in. I don't know if he's going to. Um, he will. He didn't make the BAFTA shortlist at all or the long list or whatever they call it. He didn't make it that at all. He, he didn't get the sack. nominated. Um, I hope so. I hope he does, because I thought his performance was fantastic. Um, I like Cody Smith McPhee. That seems mm-hmm. to be that seems to be. Um, I really hope the two Belfast guys don't cancel each other out. Um, Kieran Hines and Jamie Dornan. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I necessarily see both of them getting in. If I had to choose one, I feel like Kieran Hines would get once again more of a career nomination over Kieran Jamie Dornan. Amazing. Um, I'm trying to think of who else has been in the running. Uh, Kevin, so, anyone supporting actor? Go ahead. Coleman Kevin. Domingo deserves that. Oh my award. God! Yes, can we please talk about that? Do they have Zola him on, in general? Uh, is prime for snubs. Yes. Right? Like it feels like it's it's fallen off the conversation, um, wrongfully so. Yeah. Uh, including Coleman Domingo. So. Yeah. I don't even it, know I, if he's... There, there has been, and granted, and maybe it's just because I follow him on Twitter, and we have to remember that Twitter is a bubble of our, of our own choosing, right, right, um, right? And so I feel like I've been seeing. People talking about Coleman Domingo in an Oscar nomination, and he's gotten a handful of um, critic circle nominations here and right. there. But I, I don't know if there's enough traction for that movie to. Um, I would kind of love to live in a world where we're like this close to the nominations and something like that, where it's like, yeah, it just there's no conversation. If they could just surprise us every yeah. year with, oh, yeah. with with some of those, that'd be great. Now, honestly, if, if I could pick any surprise in, in, in on next Tuesday, Coleman Domingo getting best supporting actor might be the one I would want. Yeah. That's great. So, so the way that's looking right now, Cody Smith McPhee um, is number one according to Gold Derby again. Uh, Troy Kotzer, Kotzer, yeah, oh, so great. Um, Kevin, you just talked to him, Dakota. Yeah, he's really cool. He's number two. Karen Hines is at three. Cooper, Bradley Cooper for Licorice Pizza is at four. Jared Leto takes the fifth spot. Oh my god, I forgot about Leto. Oh my god, I feel like that movie came out a thousand years ago. Yeah, which that pushed uh, Jamie Dornan down to sixth. Where's Affleck? Affleck is uh, number 10. See, I'm not sure 10. Affleck gets in. This reminds it's, me of... Um, it's a tough year for Affleck, I think. Well, that, yeah, oh, yeah, things are. Thank well, it reminds well, no, me no, of... No, 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 I don't mean personally. I meant yeah. <laughs> with regards Bill, to this Bill race. Murray had that movie, was on the rocks last year, that like he got the SAG Best Supporting, and I want to say he got one other... He got like the Golden Globe Best Supporting. Yeah. He wasn't on the BAFTA list, just like Affleck, and then didn't get... So a lot of people have been drawing comparisons between those two. In terms of like, you know, a beloved performance that people love and that just doesn't strike a chord with the Oscars. Um, I think he should. I, I, I wish he would get in. It's a great performance. 
And we'll round this out with uh, Best Supporting Actress, um, and maybe we'll touch on one or two if there's a category you want to look at, but w- who's at the top of the list for either of you? Supporting uh, Actress, interesting category. Katrina for from uh, Belfast is an absolutely stellar performance. Um, yeah, sure. Do you think a lock? Kirsten Dunst. Uh, yeah, I'd say Kirsten Dunst, definitely a lock. Definitely I think a that's lock. a good call, yeah. Kev. She's ranked number two right now. Okay. Who else? Who else is on the list? Who else do we got? Uh, number one, they have Ariana DeBose for Oh um, yeah, she's, West Side I, I, think, I mean, that's I think that's that's it. She's she's kind of the usually Lock. there's like one person that like wins every, like like the the Christoph Waltz for Inglorious Bastards, where they just or Brad Pitt, um, where yeah. they just, like it's it might as well like just be Ariana DeBose in four empty slots because that's it's game over in that category. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, it's gonna be like I said. We're gonna we'll go through these uh, more in depth next week. Um, when the whole cast is back uh, after the oh, awards. I have, I have one more question is um, and I kind of, cause I kind of feel bad that um, Rachel Zegler is not getting okay. as much love and attention as Ariana DeBose. Where do they have her on uh, in the actress category? I know actress the is actress. tough this year. Let me take I, a I really look. wish she were getting more, um, more acting awards Let's potential. See. Uh, they have her at eighth. Man, it's not a, it's not a bad place, but that's not, Really, really, I feel like you got. I mean, hey, when you're ranked above uh, Francis McDormand on any list, yeah, yeah, there you go. You're doing all right. You're You're doing all right. Uh, Yeah, I think I think the best actress is really going to be interesting because we mentioned Stewart. I think Chastain has a good shot. Gaga is is interesting. Kev, do you think like do you think Kristen Stewart, who I don't think loves talking to us, do you think that she? kind of starts making the rounds a little bit or do you, I, I heard from someone that like she was doing a couple of more interviews like do you do you do you think she kind of starts playing the game a little bit or do you just think she says screw it I mean Francis McDormand never plays the game and she wins that's true that's true but yeah. did she granted oh, did she like did she do the Fargo junket like was she did she do the junket like do junkets in the 90s and then just stop doing them or did she straight up because I feel like by the time because she, she only I don't want to say just. She only just won her third Oscar or her second Oscar <laughs> for Billboards a couple of years ago, and by that mm-hmm. point she was so established she didn't need to do press anymore. She, had she hasn't decades, done kids, yeah, yeah. But she, she, there's a good chance I could see her in front, like doing the Fargo junket. Oh, I'm sure, probably. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's a there's a big difference between the press you do for your first Oscar and the press you do for your second and third Oscar. Yeah, and they're just in different places in their career. And also, sure. you know, if she doesn't if she doesn't care, then that's totally. A completely reasonable response to uh, the award system sure. is not is not caring. That's totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll touch base on these next week after the announcements um, are made, and uh, hopefully there's some fun surprises, and hopefully there's not too many disappointing surprises. Yeah. Uh, but it's the Oscars, so you know, brace yourselves. Yeah. Honestly, it's, it was um, a great year for movies, and it was a great year for performances. So unfortunately, yeah. the downside of that means a lot of people who gave career best work aren't going to be recognized. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, moving on. Um, I wanted to quickly. Um, touch on something that I've been watching uh, and pitch to our audience if they have not checked it out, and that is the After Party on Apple TV+. Plus. Um, Kev, I know you've seen the first couple episodes. Jake, I don't think you've seen it at all. Uh, no, right? I'm behind on everything right now. It's really, I gotta watch, I gotta watch uh, Mandalorian, not Mandalorian, basically Mandalorian. I gotta watch Boba yeah. Fett. Did you know spoilers, but did you see what the big thing that was today? No, no. I've, I've seen it. I've been staying off social media because I've heard there's a you big should, thing, so I'm... You should probably, yeah, start catching up. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I had it spoiled, but it's cool. It's a it's a fan servicey yeah. cool thing. Um, anyway, uh, but back to the after party. I wanted I wanted to take a second to pitch it because I watched it this past weekend. Uh, the first three episodes, the fourth episode drops um, the same day this episode drops. This episode of the podcast drops on Friday. Um, but to give you a quick pitch on it, it's um, Phil Lord and Chris Miller 
it's I think it's mainly Chris Miller's baby. He's he seems to have written most of them and is directing all of them from what I can tell. Um, and it's about an after party for a high school reunion um, at the house of this like mega movie pop star played by Dave Franco. Uh, this is not a spoiler. In the first 15 seconds of the first episode, we see Dave Franco fall to his death, death off the cliff. Um, oh, no. Yes. And the after party um, then becomes this sort of whodunit investigation of uh, of kind of how he died and uh, who potentially killed him. Um, but the really fun thing, there's a ton of amazing comedians in it. Go check the cast list out. Um, just wall to wall, hilarious performers uh, who you've seen before. Um, but the concept that I think that our audience will really enjoy is that each episode sort of gets to spoof its own genre um, because the uh, the detective played by Tiffany Haddish has this line in the first about, you know, I want to interview everybody separately and, and hear your side of the story because you're all, you know, quote unquote, stars of your own movie. Uh, and the show takes that very Let literally your mind movie. Yeah, your mind movie. And, and the show takes that very literally in that when she's sitting down with someone and they're telling their the story from their perspective. Uh, it is then told uh, in the genre of movie that that it's sort of set in. So, for instance, Sam Richardson's character is going to this um, high school reunion to hopefully rekindle this like law, love, this uh, uh, this love that he had for his, you know, Kim, um, his lab partner in high school. And so when he's telling the story of his night, it is very much shot like a romantic comedy. Oh, that's cool. Um, and told like a romantic comedy and and everything is told from his perspective. So he's the hero of the story and, you know, things are skewed. Um, and then, you know, the next episode is told from uh, uh, from Ike Barinholtz character, who uh, is sort of like a leather clad uh, muscle car driving um, uh, kind of kind of guy. Yeah. And uh, and his episode is shot and told like a Fast and Furious action movie. Oh, um, nice. But what's great is it's not like it's like taking it all on the nose and making an action movie. It is still very much a spoof. It kind of gets to spoof all of these um, and it takes it to an extreme so much to the point where, you know, <laughs> Ike, Ike Barinholtz character is is telling his story and he gets into a fist fight, this crazy fist fight with a security guard at the party. And like, you know, uh, it, it gets that wild and it is that silly. So I, I recommend it because of that sort of genre uh, reflective nature of it um, and sort of the spoof nature of it. And kind of each episode we're getting to see this uh, this genre of film sort of reflected on itself. I think our audience would really much enjoy that. I recommend going in with an open mind, expect absurdity, expect sort of very silly. Is it um, uh, week to week or is the whole thing up? The first three are out right now. And then um, every Friday, week to week. Love it. And I forget how many episodes there are actually. I think it's eight. Um, Mm. I'd have to check. But I do recommend it. Kev, speak to it. I know you've seen the first first two. Let people know uh, your thoughts. Well, I love Phil and Chris, obviously, and the great cast. Ben Schwartz is awesome. Mike Barinholtz. Friend of the um, show. Yeah, Tiffany Haddish. I mean, it's a it's a solid, solid concept, as Gabe explained. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm excited to see what else they do with in terms of the genres. But um, but yeah, I mean, Chris Miller's uh, it's like kind of like his thing and Phil yeah. producer. And uh, I just love those guys. I mean, 21 Jump Street, Cloud of the Chance of Meatballs and obviously Spider-Verse. I mean, they're just fascinating filmmakers who are young and uh just entertaining like you know i feel like they're 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 of our generation um in a sense of like you know their 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 jokes really resonate with me a lot Mm -hmm. so i have a question for you guys i don't super love tiffany haddish i think she kind of like i don't know but every time she veers away from sort of the the bit that she's known for doing it just kind of rings 
false for me. Like I really did not like her in the card counter. How is she in this? And she's and how... really good in this. She's really okay. good. All right. Yeah. She, right. so she plays the detective and she's still, like I said, it's, it's expect absurdity, expect fun. Um, because she's still like, she's playing a detective, but she's still very funny. Like it's like the funniest, okay. you know, it's, it's a very silly, uh, she's, she's making jokes and all this stuff. And, and her, okay. her character, um, it's not like straight, it's not necessarily a straightforward to, to sort of give it some conflict and give her a reason to kind of be a bit absurd. She's not necessarily, she's not really supposed to be, um, on this case. Yeah. Uh, she was told to, you know, just sort of take some, uh, you know, ask some questions and get some information, but some head honcho detective is going to come down because this is a, you know, high profile case. And so she's sort of under the radar taking on trying to solve the case, which sort of, um, justifies some of the absurd stuff that she does. It's very good. Like there's like in the first episode, there's, um, there's sort of this like pretentious artsy character who's quickly saying what's what's happened. She doesn't get a whole episode, um, but it's like an Ingmar Bergman film. It's like yeah. black and white. And yeah. it's very it's very like a 24. It's very cool. But uh, there's a uh, the third episode is uh, Ben Schwartz and his character is like a musician or aspiring musician. And Bring so it's like a show. It's like a pitch perfect uh, oh, movie, nice. like kind of musical. It's so great. The length to which they go and it's it's surprising every time that you go, Oh wow. They really spent the money to do that bit. Like they yeah. really did it. Um, so I, I think the audience would like it. Check it out. Let me know what you think. I think as film fans who enjoy, you know, the various aspects of filmmaking, I think you'll enjoy it sort of yeah. getting deconstructed in that way. Um, well, let's move on. Let's keep it moving with, uh, this week in movies. And, uh, there's a couple of major movies hitting theaters, which I will throw to you guys. We'll kick things off with Jackass forever. A reminder. Steve-O was on the show. Go check your feeds. Check it out. He was a lovely guest. Um, but Kevin, go ahead and take it away. What were your thoughts on Jackass Forever? Yeah, I mean, I mean, as a kid growing up, Jackass was a huge thing for MTV that I, and I loved it. And the first film I ended up seeing twice in the opening weekend because it was just um, it was that was a huge deal to see an R rated Jackass film, considering like television, you know, would was edited in a certain in, in a way that you couldn't get the full effect of Jackass. Um so, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, to me, I've always just been fascinated by the concept and how they pull off uh, uh, stunts in front of real people. And obviously, Steve-O gave a great story about insurance and how things are done behind the scenes. Uh, if you want to check that out. Um, and how there are film, things that he couldn't even get away with in the films. Yeah. <laughs> they were yeah. uninsurable. Which is yeah. And like this movie, uh, you know, it's 10 years what after. 3D yeah. and you know and yeah. I loved I love all of them I, I I'm a huge fan of these and like I just felt like hanging out with old friends again to be honest with you like it was it was it's extremely raunchy I do not know how they got an R rating um I don't know what they did to get the R rating because it is it is I've never seen some of the stuff in this film is so beyond anything I've seen on the big screen before yeah. um no but I loved it I thought it was hilarious it was funny uh there was a heartwarming aspect to seeing the guys back together. I def definitely miss Bam. Um, definitely miss. I mean, obviously Ryan Dunn passed years ago, and he was you know one of the greatest on the show. And um, you know the film is dedicated to him, so it's. Yeah. I think know, he was he was always my my favorite cast member. He was always the most. Yeah. Um, uh, he was the most relatable. Like he, he, always, yeah. it always felt like he was looking at things the way we were, which is like, you guys are fucking crazy. Like, yeah. you know, yeah. it was, he was, well, then, the and then Dunn did that bit in the first one where he put the toy car. Um, and then we got and got an x-ray, yeah. which I think is one of the funniest bits of all time. Um, originally that was a Steve-O bit. Uh, and so Ryan did it, but you know, but this movie is definitely, it pushes the rating for sure. It's not 
like a lot of people are wondering, like, are they are since they're older now, can they still do everything they were doing? They definitely go beyond. Uh, you know, I, I'm I've seen a lot of Jackass over the years, and I even had to look away a few times. It was pretty, pretty disturbingly gruesome and gross <laughs> at certain times. Um, but overall, I mean, I, I was so happy with it as a fan. It delivered exactly what I wanted with a Jackass film. It's definitely it might be one of the best ones, if not the best. I mean, I don't know that there's so many. I love the first and the second one, but this one definitely delivers on all fronts. Jake, what were your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's the hardest I've laughed in a movie theater. And I was basically in a movie theater by myself just watching it. I would love to see it with uh, with an opening night crowd. Um, yeah, I agree with everything Kevin said. Look, I, I probably honestly watched a quarter of the movie like through through the cracks of my fingers just because I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't let the entirety of the what was happening on the big screen enter my eyeballs. But look, it's 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 exactly like, you know, you know what Jackass is like. It's it's one of those things where by by now, you know, if it's either for you or not for you. And if it's for you, you're absolutely going to love this movie. And if it's not for you, there's nothing they're going to do that's going to change their mind. that's going to make you randomly right. all of a sudden fall in love with Jackass forever. Interesting. Yeah, I, I do want to ask. I, I haven't been able to see it yet. I'm excited to. Um, but I, I wanted to get your guys thoughts on the um, I don't know if they're technically new cast members or just the new people that are participating participating in it that I could see from the trailer, which I thought was kind of cool and fresh. I love that Eric Andre is involved in mm-hmm. whatever capacity, just because I love Eric Andre and the Eric Andre show is, is uniquely Eric, but it's also like just clearly such a uh, influence by the likes of Jackass um, and the way that he produces that show. So how were the fresh faces and, and, and how was that all, how did that all get pulled off? What I liked about the new cast is like, they're, they were fans of the Jackass series and movies growing up. So like, it's like there's one part where like this guy, uh, Jasper, like he gets really excited and geeked out just to say his name and introduce the sketch that he's doing, like which is like a famous jackass thing. Hi, I'm, you know, Steve-O and this is the whatever the name of the sketch is. And like, yeah, just like that reminded me of what I would do if I was in a jackass movie. I'd be like, I'd be like fanning out about like what the general idea of a jackass scene would be and kind of introducing it. Um, Rachel Wolfson, I thought was really funny. Uh, Jasper's great. Uh, Zach, is it Zach Holmes? Zach ass I think is, is his Instagram. He's really great. Um, a lot of the new, I thought they were great. I thought everyone, they really fit in well. Uh, Jasper's brings his father along, which is in one of the most disturbing scenes in the whole film, which deals with the spider. Um, uh, but there's a lot, there's a, I mean, there's a lot of insects that definitely, uh, are they, are they setting it up as if, um, like it's going to be a new class that maybe they'll, we'll get more jackass, but it'll be with, you know, people who were fan, like it'll be this new influence. Oh, that's interesting group. Or like, if it didn't give that, I'm curious. So, so, are you, so you're asking, is this jackass afterlife? I guess. Yeah. I was curious if, if it feels like, cause yeah, those guys, I mean, I mean that, we can't that, do any, we, we got to stop hurting Johnny Knoxville. He's yeah. a national treasure. And yeah. if we keep, if we keep throwing bulls <laughs> at him. It's uh, uh, yeah, I mean, it, I don't I don't feel like they're a, such a massive part of this movie that they're okay. trying to imply that they're like, you know, they're and, and some get used more than others. OK, um, there, there's I will say and I won't give anything away because because half of like the appeal of, of Jackass is not knowing what the sketches are whenever you go in for, but sure. for, for film fans, obviously, of this podcast, there's one sketch this kind of a love letter to Silence of the Lambs. And whenever you see certain aspects of it, if you you're just going to go like, oh, my God, to decipher oh my what God. That like, like Kevin, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's, it's, it's what you you will know it the second you see it. It's, it's, it's not it's not I'm not I'm not going to say it. OK, 
All, all I'm going to say is it, it's it's not like I'm going to you're going to you're going to come out of the movie and be like, hey, which one was the science of the lamb sketch? Like you're going to know you're going to know which one it is. Right. And it's 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 perfect. Wonderful. Well, that's Jackass um, in theaters this weekend. If you want to see it, you'll it. know. So I was yeah. just about to say, like, is that my favorite movie of the year so far? <laughs> is it, it is. It is. It is I February Scream, 2nd. Scream's better. Scream. Oh, Scream. I love Scream. Yeah. Um, all right. Jackass. Yeah. Available this week. Also available this week. Um, hitting theaters is Moonfall. Our guest of the week, of course, Roland Emmerich. Um, Jake. I think you are on the more positive side of this. This is another one I have not seen. They didn't screen it here in my market. Let's, but let's 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 put positive in quotations. This is okay. not a good movie. It's not. Okay. It's not a good movie. Okay. It is. It is not well written. It's not particularly well okay. acted. It's not. You know. But that is being it fun? said, is it fun? Y- yes. Okay. That being said, I enjoyed the badness of it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, once again, this was a, a screening that. And granted, I think we should always take into context the the way in which we see the film. Um, I, I saw this at like an afternoon screening, like basically by myself with, you know, like at one o'clock in the afternoon, if I were to pay, if I were to pay to go see this on my own, I would right. go on a Friday night, I'd get a drink at the bar and then I'd, I'd go watch it that way. In which case it probably would have been even a, a better experience. It's, it's just with a drink. It would have been. <laughs> yes. Yes. It would have okay. been, okay. it would have been better. Um, it's just, it's just a little unprofessional if you were to show up with a flask at a press screen. Yes. Yes. And at one o'clock on the, in the afternoon. (laughs) Exactly. Um, no, look, it's, it's, it's not good, but I'd, I'd be lying if I like, there's a, there's a scene and it's in the trailer. So I don't think it's a spoiler, but there is a scene where they're in a shuttle and they're launching, but they got to go, 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 go. Because there's this what they call a gravity wave because the moon being off orbit has shifted the gravity of so many things on Earth. So there's this massive, weirdly shaped wave that's coming toward them. So the image of a space shuttle crashing through a wave, it's just a but like sort of like 2012 a day after tomorrow. It's just a bunch of things that like you wouldn't necessarily ever expect to see, but it doesn't really the, the science of it makes no sense whatsoever. But just. Go says and you, enjoy not a scientist. I mean, I don't know. You Maybe know what? I, I, if we could get a scientist on this show yeah. to back up the science of Moonfall, I would love that. Come Didn't on the show NASA, next week. Like sign off on the film. Or something. I was gonna say, like, on Moonfall. Yeah. I think they were like involved in the film. I mean, I'm it was almost... just a, it was just a guy who works for NASA was like, <laughs> I had fun. I sure, it was great. No, I think that NASA was like a, a, a part of the actual filmmaking process. I could be wrong. Yeah, they're in they're in the uh, credits is like thank yous and stuff. So I don't know. Okay, well then I refute Jake's claim. The science maybe is please hey, someone from NASA. I'm sure we have a lot of NASA employees. Yeah, that would be great. That'd be yeah, great. That Can you give us a tour just for the really fun cool. of it? Yeah, that'd be really cool. Like Massimino, if you're listening. Yeah, I want to wear a spacesuit, please. Uh, Kev, where did where did you land on it? Uh, I sent this to, into the, into the group text, but if you go to that, if you watch the movie uh, uh, Billy Madison, yeah, there's a there's a there's <laughs> like the third time I've heard this reference. Not even about Moonfall, just this reference. I've heard this. In but the last remember when days. Madison gets on the stage, and then the guy basically was like, essentially, everybody in this room is now dumber for. Hearing yeah. what you just had to say and like, may right. God have mercy on your soul or whatever, whatever the teacher says. Um, that's how I felt when I walked out of the film. Like, like it is like to me, I'm all for like fun, bad movies. But this movie like made my head hurt um, to really? a point of. Yeah, I just did not. It was incoherent. The CG was 
was fine in some parts, but the water CG looked terrible. You think so? Um, oh my god! When they when the Not water was flooding, I didn't think the water looked good. Um, Freaking NASA! Yeah. Listen, they, they this is coming on every aspect of the movie. <laughs> Performances, perfect writing, perfect. I, I I just feel like I just genuinely felt it was so insanely convoluted and confusing. Yeah. I don't know what happened in the third act. I and I, I was watching it. I assume actively. the moon fell. Um, but in all honesty, I just don't. I found this film to be an incoherent mess. And I, and I feel like this is like an easy target, unfortunately, because like yeah. Moonfall it's a disaster film. You know, of course, it's not going to get good reviews. And I and I am, you know, you're talking to somebody who is obsessed with Fast and the Furious. So I, I am I am not, you know, I am I not, try not. I try not to bring that up. Uh, well, no, no. But I, but <laughs> the point I'm making is I'm not above. Right. Try. I'm not above not liking films that might necessarily not be critically well received. Sure. I, I actually think the Fast and Furious films are extremely well made and they're great, great performances, great action. Uh, I love those movies, but most people would disagree with me. That's totally fine. Um, I don't know, most but, I, we don't need to have that, but I don't know. A lot of people, people, a lot of people go see those would, movies. So. But I love the billion movies. dollar movies. Someone loves right. those movies. Well, right. But the, the point I'm making is that like Moonfall, I'm not, I'm not sitting here trying to sit like I'm on a high horse. Like, it just didn't, this it is, didn't hit this you. This is not cinema. Um, right. But I mean, I, I'm more of just like I just found it to be extremely stupid. Um, it was it was it was it had absolutely no coherency in terms of storytelling. The performances are bad. Um, and I think at the end of the day, Halle Berry and Patrick Wilson, phenomenal actors. But the way this film is edited and, and the dialogue is delivered it's horrendous. And I think I think a lot of people are going to be like, oh, I can sit down and just turn my brain off and have fun with it. It's a big disaster film. It's just so stupid. I, I genuinely left the film feeling less educated than I did when I walked into it. I'm not, I'm not, and I'm not saying that exaggeration wise. I, I genuinely felt confused, dumbfounded. Um, I didn't understand how this was ever brought to the big screen because there was how was there not an editor sitting there? Like and it moves so fast and Jake in the beginning, it's just like it's just like, oh, moon's falling. Oh, we got to go up there. Cool. And then I mean, it was I mean, it, to me, it was just not like I said, I said this to you guys in the thread. If I'm Roland Emmerich, this is a great concept. The story, the idea behind this is really cool. The whole like a concept of the dark side of the moon, what happens to the moon, why it's falling. All that stuff's cool. Why can't you get a better script and better and better dialogue delivery and better effects and better like he could make a disaster film, but make a great movie at the same time. Why does it have to be shit? That's my I, problem I, with it. I will say, Kevin, I and not to give too much away. It, there's a lot more to the story than just the moon is off its orbit and it's crashing into the earth. Yeah, there was a part of me that was like, did we need all this? Like, I really no. wish it were like I was almost disappointed it's whenever there was that extra element to the story of like, it's not just that the moon's crashing. I was like, could it be though? Couldn't it just be that the moon's crashing into the earth? Dude, Do we need all this extra stuff? Don't even get me started on Patrick Wilson's son's storyline. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you right now. Like, you this know what? You know what makes that that storyline better, though? You know writing. what makes it better? Alcohol. But that, Kevin's, but the whole. I, I, so basically, what like, you just said. Basically, what you said, sorry. Jake. I need a new. I need a new review structure and scoring system. <laughs> yeah, it's Jake, like how many glasses? No how many glasses of whiskey until it's good? This movie needs drinks to be good. Basically, is what you said. 
that's I mean, disingenuous, it, it, but no, it, I'm, not, it, I'm not saying that in a bad way. And 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 I'm just saying like, and obviously the the idea there being is that if you're if, you know if if you've had a couple of drinks, it might be a little more fun to process, like, like going it's to a concert a, kind yeah. of thing. Um, well, you yeah, know, Kevin, like tell me right. See, when in our history of doing uh, doing junkets, when we're out in L.A., every once in a while. Um, the studios will have like a little happy hour for us before we go into the movie. And, and the joke <laughs> that we make is, well, Usually it must be bad. bad. It must yeah. be bad if they're doing this. This would have been a movie where they would have done a happy hour before we yeah. went to the screening. Tell me I'm wrong. You're not, you're not wrong. And here's the thing. I, and I, I hate that I'm, that I'm this guy right now. But no, I don't wanna, but, but, I, no I, but it, I, it feels I, very I, sincere. It doesn't feel I like you're, you're want to be this guy. I'm not, I'm not like, uh, this is, this is, I, I, I really appreciate every aspect of filmmaking and, I, and I'm a Roland Emmerich fan, even if I don't love all of his movies, but I just found this to be, it was actually aggravating. It felt like it was four hours long. Um, I just, I walked out of that film and I said, what the hell did I just watch? If somebody asked me right now, if they said, I'll give you a million dollars if explaining the third act of the film, I wouldn't be able to do it. I, it's not that I like disagree with what you're saying, because I, by no means am I going to like stand on a soapbox and like shake my fist at the sky and defend Moonfall. I just think I care less about the movie and just am a little right. bit more. Oh. I, I think you and I saw the same movie and I think yeah. we're coming at it the same way. I think I just have a little bit more of a just throw my hands up in the air and just say, all right, wait, it just is what it fun. is. But just I also but th- th- and that's the thing. There's nothing wrong with just having fun. Like, that's the thing is like if it's done well, sure, like at, at the end of the day. Like, I'm telling you right now, I want everybody listening to this right now. I want you to come back and tell me that the son's storyline is good writing. <laughs> like, it, it is it is some of the worst uh, effects I've ever seen. Everything that dealing with the son um, in terms of like, you know, what happens. I won't go into too much detail. Um, but like, I, I just find it frustrating that you spend whatever hundred million dollars in this film and you couldn't just get a good, solid like decent script that was simple. Like they made this thing so complicated. Like I I think Christopher Nolan would be confused by Moonfall. Like I'm not, and that that dude's like the smartest guy on the planet. One of the smartest guys (laughs) on the planet. Makes movies. I'm just saying it makes movies. I I, I mean that, like I, I say that in this way, Christopher Nolan makes films that are thinkers and make you think. And like, he's very, uh, very intuitive into that, into that process. I feel like if he watched Moonfall, he'd be like, what the hell did I just watch? Right. And yeah, no right. one is pretty. And he made that, th- but he made that bookshelf. Yeah. On that note, <laughs> on that note, go check it out. If you'd like, I, I still want to see it. I I'm, I'm down for some mindless. Um, action. So am I. And that's the problem. I, know, I, know. I have no um, problem with mindless action. Yep. Drink. Uh, should I have a drink for maybe we'll see. Drink. I'm going to work on some art assets see, for Jake's. I'm going to be really mad if Gabe comes back and says <laughs> drunk and he like, loves it. <laughs> no, Gabe's like, I love Moonfall. If you love Moonfall, I'm going to have a big problem because <laughs> Fast and Furious, if you can't appreciate those movies for what they oh. are, Fast and Furious is like is I like don't, I don't think he's going like to come out of it saying he loves it. I, I, I don't think he's going to gonna come out of it saying he loves it. I think I will find I think I could it sounds like the kind of movie I can find a way to enjoy, though. The gravity wave scene is cool. That's all I'll that's all I'll give it. I love it. It's time for our blend game. Hashtag Roland Emmerich blend our favorite favorite movies from Roland Emmerich. Um, And I'm here to spoil us and say that we've all chosen Independence Day. Am I right? Yeah. Yes. Independence Day. Who wants to who wants to start with why we love Independence Day so much? I'll jump in because I'm not going to talk long, but this is the the very definition of why we choose favorite, because, look, I haven't seen it in years. 
Kevin says that maybe the, the quality has maybe gone down a little bit, which I'm sure is, is the case, but I can't watch the speech without getting chills. It's such a massive part of my childhood. I had a lot yeah. of the, the toys. I remember I had like the alien that like the head would split open. Then there was like little, the little baby alien inside. Like I had that. I remember when you would buy it on VHS, it came with that lenticular cover that showed like the white house blowing up and then going back together, then blowing up, then going back together. So like so many aspects, it's the first movie that I've ever seen twice in a theater in my life because I went my sister took me to see it and then I came back and was like mom and dad mom and dad mom and dad you have to like oh my god you're gonna love it it's the greatest thing ever and so they took me to go see it um and so the concept of seeing a movie twice in a theater was just like wait like I get to see it again like I get to see it one more time and it just blew my mind it was such a big deal when it came out like that I mean it was it was huge it was massive I, I I I can't not pick that it wasn't it wasn't just the movie itself it was the 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 moment the era of my life there was like an independence day era of my life it was it was awesome yeah yeah it's it's a family thing for me like like that movie was because i i I, like if it's at the end of the day like i independence day was great when i was 12 um but i've rewatched it recently it just doesn't to me it doesn't hold up is it the special effects special effects are bad um will smith's great um and i love uh him in the role i just there's something weird about Emmerich's films that don't hold up, because if you go back to 91, 92 Terminator 2 Judgment Day, which still looks better than most movies that come out today. And then you fast forward to 94 and watch Independence Day. It's like it's almost as if like Independence Day went backwards, even though it was three years or whatever later than Terminator 2, because when I watch Independence Day now, it looks like a badly made TV movie. Really? I'm not, I'm not dude. I'm telling you, watch Watch it again. Is it the CGI and, stuff or is it the yes, practical stuff? It, it, the C, it's everything. Like, like, like from a story I love stamp, the practical stuff. Oh, the practical stuff's awesome. Oh, because uh, the, the White House explosion is amazing. The, the, I love the miniature work. The, it's all uh, the CGI the stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember the CGI in that as much. I only remember, like, visual, like, my visual memory is all the practical monster stuff, the practical explosions, which just put, like, it's the night. When you get, like, that, that practical miniature, um, like cloud of fire yeah like a roll down the street or something that was in every 90s action movie i just get really nostalgic seeing that because it doesn't look i guess you know it's real in the sense that it's practical but it looks so it's so specific to that era the only cgi shot the only cgi shot i remember being absolutely horrible i remember thinking this as a kid like that doesn't look good was when the dog jumps to safety from like the, like the, they're like come on boomer come on boomer oh, and, like and then like the, yeah it's like like the, it's like it's like a frozen image of a dog jumping but like <laughs> minimizes into the corner of the frame as like the fire goes by i remember even the kid as a kid being like that's not a good like thing. the miniature white house blow up scene looks incredible because it's real yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i mean like uh, and, and anything practical obviously looks is gonna look great but it's to me the cgi does not hold up in that film at all i think it actually ruins it personally um right. but i mean in terms of like Time period, though, when I was a kid, when I was 12 or 10, when I went and saw it in New York with my uncle and aunt, it was like the greatest movie I'd ever seen. Yeah. Um, but the problem is, is, again, if I put Jurassic Park on right now, it looks phenomenal. Yeah. And that movie yeah. came out a year prior to Three years. Day. Three it's, years prior. No, because uh, Independence yeah. Day was 95. I thought it was 96. Six. Oh, and then okay. and Independence yeah. Day was 93. Jurassic Park looks better than Independence Day. Explain that to me. Yeah, I mean, and that's it, a it mixture happens. of CG and practical. But it's a different craftspeople, you know. It's, no, I'm, it's a different... but, I'm, but my point is, but my, the only point I'm making is I Black love the Panther thing. looks a lot worse than Avengers Infinity War. Like it happens. Like it's it's different. Well, just you know? just the just the the waterfall scenes. Yeah, 
the water the scene, the train no, no, scene. No, yeah, the train scene. I love the train scene. But that's my oh, point, yeah. is it has worse things. In, like, it, it happens. It's not, not everything. Just because it came out around the same time. I, I don't think everything's always constantly progressing or always has the same sort of budget or... Um, you know, I don't think Independence Day holds up as well nowadays. We're talking about a moment in time when we were kids, right? Yeah. Uh, that's what we were discussing here. Yeah, for me, yeah. for me, I, I don't I don't dock at points. I haven't seen it in a, in a few years, probably, but I've never docked at points. Um, movies like that that were so important to me, I, I tend to get lost in exactly what it is. And, and like I was saying with that, like, you know, the practical fire, for instance, like it just pulls me back to that time because that's what things looked like. And it. And it is in and of itself is a nostalgia trip. Um, and for me, similar to you guys, it's a childhood thing of like, that's a VHS tape that I wore yeah, out. That it was, was constantly amazing. on. Anytime it was on TV, it was on. The whole family was into it. And, you know, it was one of those that we could agree to watch. Uh, Will Smith at the height of his powers of influence um, for me as a kid, especially. Uh, Jeff Goldblum. I mean, Jeff, Gold, the most Jeff Best Goldblum. part of the movie. He's so good. I love that character. And I like that's like that's the two of them are like the reason you could never remake that movie. Like, yeah, yeah. remake that movie with, you know, make a better story, use better effects. But you can't really replicate not only the charisma of those two incredible actors, but like. It their their sort of external influence of like the way the audience saw them at the time as movie yeah. stars. Yeah, that's a that's you, a great way of putting you it. You can't really like put that sort of extra filter over it because Goldblum was fr- was little. three years off Jurassic Park, and by yeah. that point, everyone he, had to have known that he was about to come back for Lost World. Was this so when he was, he was a, still like the highest paid Goldblum? Was this, what was it? There was an era of his. Maybe it was. Maybe it was in the eighties. There was an era where he was like the highest paid actor in Hollywood. Really? I believe. I, I didn't know that. I'm just remembering this. Um, yeah, I feel like there was a time where he was like, you know, he was the Robert Downey for a few years. There. I feel like by that, by '96, it had to be Jim must Carrey not have or been. Hanks. You're right. It must not have been. Maybe I'm thinking because even Will to. Smith hadn't made Men in Black by that point. Okay, yeah. Kevin, say what you want to about Independence Day. You and I had one of the greatest screening experiences of that movie. That you could ever imagine. They they had a uh, when we they when they brought us to the set of Independence Day Resurgence in New Mexico. I wasn't there for this for the for the for the screening for the party Not for the screening. No, no! are yeah, you I wasn't sure? There for that. Yeah, no, I remember. I, I, I came came in a day later. You and I weren't there when when we watched Roland Emmerich and Bill Pullman watch oh, about the, the one speech on, outside. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Sorry, so they sorry. had this—they had this big party and they had this giant screen set up where they played Independence Day and like a lot of the cat, like Jeff Goldblum was walking around and and Roland Emmerich was walking around and so like we, you know, we everyone would kind of pause at certain moments and like watch it and you know it was just this outdoor party and the weather was great. It was really nice, but the coolest moment was when it came time for Bill Pullman's presidential speech. Everyone stopped what they were doing and stared at the screen and Kevin and I. We're standing behind Roland Emmerich and Jeff Goldblum. Or I'm sorry, Jeff Roland, uh, Roland Emmerich and Bill Pullman, watching them watch the screen. And I, and I believe didn't Roland Emmerich like put his arm around Bill Pullman? Like it was like a really nice moment just there. And then the whole whenever he said, you know, whenever you, you said, you know, the big line, everyone in the crowd just cheered, and it was, you know, it was just cool to. I don't know. It was just I, that's that's a movie. That's a that's a screening experience I'll remember for the rest of my life. Yeah, it was awesome. That's awesome. Um, before we get to the audience picks, let's go ahead and throw it to Sean's pick. Uh, Sean, who cannot be with us this week. You know, I don't care. He doesn't. He didn't do the show. He doesn't get a pick. I think he picked Independence Day as well. So we're okay, going to talk it. more about it. Um, I, I believe so. Uh, so without further ado, here is Sean with his pick for Roland Emmerich. 
guys, it's Sean. Sorry, I cannot be there for this week's episode. Uh, I'm on the road for some very exciting personal things, showing PJ around to different schools. But I wanted to participate in the Roland Emmerich blend pick. And of course, it has to be Independence Day. Uh, I really would be surprised if you, the guys went with something else outside of ID4. It's definitely the best film that Roland Emmerich has done, the most fun film that Roland Emmerich has done. Uh, you know, I... <laughs> I like a few of his other films, especially The Patriot, because I have some really cool stories about being an extra in The Patriot. But if I'm going to pick the Roland Emmerich film that works on its own, uh, it's this one because it personifies everything that he does with the sort of disaster genre. Uh, it's a great throwback too. I think he says it's structured very much like the towering Inferno. And one of the reasons why I think he nails that formula is because of the star studded ensemble that he has uh, terrific people such as Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith uh, playing off of each other uh, as sort of mismatched partners who have to uh, prevent the end of the world. You've seen Roland Emmerich sort of go back to this playbook numerous times for movies like The Day After Tomorrow, uh, 2012, and then even in, in Moonfall, uh, which is very much trying to be the next Independence Day. But I don't think that Roland has really captured uh, the magic that he put on screen with ID4. Uh, you know, there, we talked about it in our interview with him. There's just these indelible uh, images of the destruction of the White House and, and even the Empire State Building that will always be with us. Uh, it is the first real full on uh, movie star performance by Will Smith, who just, you know, oozes charisma. Uh, and there's a reason why it was a smash hit for the summer blockbuster. I think it actually helped put the idea or the concept of the summer blockbuster uh, back on the radars of people who had, you know, maybe let it slide off. Of course, Jaws is always going to be the first one to, uh, that people recognize. But ID4 came around and, and really uh, staked its claim as uh, this is an event picture. It's going to bring everybody out to the theaters. And I don't think that Roland has been able to necessarily do that again. Uh, breaks my heart that he went back to the franchise with resurgence and tried to um, tap back into that. And, and it, it didn't work. But we will always have Independence Day, uh, a film that that is still remarkably fun and holds up really well. The effects are, are so much better than you would expect them to be. Uh, and just the attitude that it brings to the proceedings is uh, a reason why I'm always, always going to love that and why it is my favorite Roland Emmerich pick. Uh, I can't wait to hear what you guys picked. Uh, I always love listening to the show as an audience member. And I'll be back in the uh, in the big chair next week to join all the blenders for episode 202. Talk to you guys then. Thank you, Sean, for taking the time uh, and letting us know your pick. We will see him next week uh, if all goes well. I mean, you never maybe, know people drop maybe, out. maybe, yeah, maybe we he have gets fired. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but let's get to some audience picks. The folks at home wrote in with their picks for their favorite Roland Emmerich movies. We have uh, Satish Godi, Robert Madden, and uh, a few others went with The Patriot. That's a great movie. It's a great, great movie. One. Um, Damien Which Mc... Sean is in, apparently. Yeah, he's like an extra. He's like an extra. <laughs> I hope I'm he's in like some it. sort of garb. He's got to be in some sort of, of garb. Oh. Carrying a musket. Am I going to spend my weekend watching the Patriot frame by frame? I might just. I might just. <laughs> Oh, oh my gosh, my I, I'm going to take that this and I'll put like a image. filter over it. Please. No, I like the, the joke is that Sean's, you know, ancient, even though he's yeah. not, but we make that joke. <laughs> we found an find... old American revolution. <laughs> yeah, we're like, hey, look, Sean. Sean. <laughs> what was the oh theater like? God. Were you a theater critic <laughs> at the time? Oh my God. Uh, <laughs> the Patriot. Um... <laughs> Damien McDonald writes in with uh, Universal Soldier, which is probably an honorable mention for yeah, Kev. Kev, I imagine. Love that movie. 
Um, you Dana had a great, Rogers, you're such a great story to have rolling for that. Dana Rogers has probably my number two, uh, the day after tomorrow. I love the day after tomorrow. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, Rachel Ho, Michelle Garrist, Michael Breen, and many, many, many others, of course, agreed with us um, and went with Independence Day. Probably his most biggest, most influential movie, Independence Day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By far. Yeah. By far. By far. Awesome. Well, thank you all for writing in. Thank you for playing along. You can play along next week. Next week is a special one. This is someone I've been holding on to for a while. Their uh, career, no pun intended, um, is rather young, I feel. I feel like there's going to be a ton of more work. This is going to be one that I think will change in the years to come. Um, so I was hesitant to, you know, to go for it. But there's already so many to pick from. And that is cinematographer uh, Bradford Young. Bradford Ooh. Young, who I absolutely love. One of my favorite working cinematographers to date. Um, and you can write in your pick on Twitter using hashtag Bradford Youngblend. Um, or, of course, write us an email, cinemablend at cinemablend, real blend, excuse me, at cinemablend.com, and uh, we'll get your pick read on the show. Uh, reviews, a reminder, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts, um, and on Spotify, you can leave us a rating, and I will challenge you, even if you don't listen to podcasts on Spotify, you, maybe that's just your music portal, hey, that's for me, I don't listen to podcasts, everybody listen to music, head over to our page, uh, leave us a rating, let everyone know that you love us, um, we really appreciate the support, it helps us grow the show. Um, and it is a big deal. Coming up next, though, for our premium subscribers, we have uh, a 1997 Oscars in review, uh, which will be dropping on Monday. But until then, you can find us on socials uh, at Jake's Takes, at Kevin McCarthy TV, at Sean underscore O'Connell, at Gabe Kovach, and the show is at Real Blend. Uh, but until next time, I am Vengeance. Oh my God, yes. You be. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker. Engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.